Hello and welcome back to Shout Scratch. You're listening to episode 62, Superstitions in Medicine. This is a podcast brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where we bring together medical students, junior doctors and expert guests to discuss all the things you need to know to be a good doctor, but that you might not get taught at medical school. I'm Pat, I'm the editorial scholar here at the BMJ and a medical student at Anglia Ruskin University. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by our regular panellists, Laura and Izzy. Laura, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi there, I'm Laura and I'm a Foundation Year One doctor in Hinchingbrook Hospital. Great to have you back. And Izzy, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Izzy and I am now a final year medical student at Nottingham University. Glad to have you with us. <laughs> and I'm also excited to introduce our expert guest today, Dr. Neil Dagnall. Neil, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. I'm Dr. Neil Dagnall. I'm located at Manchester Metropolitan University, where I'm a reader in applied cognitive psychology. Mm. Thank you for joining us today. So Halloween is just around the corner and I thought we could talk about something that's slightly spooky in the spirit of Halloween. (laughs) And the first thing that came into my mind was superstitions. Uh, As I think there are quite a few superstitions that still persist in our profession. But before we get to that, um, panellists, would you say that you're superstitious or hold any superstitious beliefs? So Izzy, I saw you (laughs) nodding right there. (laughs) I am the worst for superstitions. Everything. Like... (laughs) black cats crossing the road, walking under ladders. And, you know, it's things like, even things I make up myself, like I wouldn't pick up my OSCE textbook until I got my results for my exams because I thought if I picked it up, that was me basically saying, oh, you're certain to have failed because you're telling yourself that you need to revise more. You know, things like that. I just make things up and it's really, really bad. (laughs) And I've become more so as I've got older. I used to, like, think when I was younger, like, oh, no, this is rubbish. But now, as I've got older, I've thought more more and more, oh, yeah, actually, no, this is definite. This is definitely true. (laughs) So. (laughs) I'm so different. I'm the opposite. I'm not superstitious. Not at all. (laughs) I don't think so. No, I don't believe that I have very much control over what happens. No, that's fair enough. (laughs) How about you, Neil? I'd like to think I'm not superstitious, but I think the reality is I am. So it was quite uh, good what Izzy said, because I'm a bit like that. I don't like damning something by thinking uh, about the outcome. So uh, if somebody asked me how a job interview went, for example, I wouldn't say it went well. I'd wait to see what the outcome was because I think if I said anything positive about it, that would damn it or would in some way put the mockers on it. So, yes, I am. And also when I used to play a lot of football when I was younger, there would be moments in games where you think, oh, we're going to win this game. And at that point... It always seems to go wrong. <laughs> so I am very, very careful about uh, thinking, you know, thinking it's going okay here. Yeah, definitely. It's like you don't want to jinx it by saying that, oh, I think I will win this game, for example. Um, and when I was preparing for this episode, I compiled a list of superstitions that um, happen in healthcare. But before we get to that list, are there any superstitions that you can think of that happens in healthcare? I feel like. The most obvious one is all the superstition about the keyword, right? Yeah. That's the first one everyone thinks of, surely. Yeah, that's the one I was going to go for as well. Yeah. 
and you know you say it and everyone just looks at you like daggers yeah. <laughs> like, don't say it don't say it everything's very calm yeah that's what that's what i've heard mm. <laughs> yeah anything but the word quiet yeah. But like, how did you know about this superstition? Like, because I don't think like before I get into me- go into medicine, I don't think the word quiet really makes any difference in any other profession. I think you learn it quite quickly when you're on when you're working in a team and you have the opportunity when you're working alongside a team long enough to be able to say how the day compares to other days mm. in a in a slightly longer placement. You quite quickly get shot down <laughs> by people around you. <laughs> haven't haven't you found that, Izzy? Yeah, I, I, I'm just trying to work out where I think I've first heard it. And I think it must have been reading a book or something when I was applying to medical school. Oh, fair. Because I definitely knew it before I started clinical placement. And have you Don't made that book. mistake before? Yeah. Of, like, saying the word <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Didn't go down too well. <laughs> In a resus department. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> And yeah. anything happens? Like, do, do you think it made a difference? I got out of there. <laughs> I... <laughs> you didn't stick around to see the consequences. I, <laughs> I, um, I was on until ten o'clock. It was half past nine when I said that. I just decided to get out of there. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but I do think that you know people want a reason for things to go wrong if they do and have you ever used this kind of like superstition in your like to your own benefit so say i was on a placement and it was really really uneventful and i thought i would (laughs) say the word quiet so that you know something will happen (laughs) so i can actually learn something obviously i because by then i already knew about the superstition so i didn't i only said it to myself so like oh this is so quiet i wish something would actually happen but yeah the the shift in um become any more eventful so i'm just thinking if we need to you know say it in front of an audience you need to say it to the whole team at large that everyone knows (laughs) whose fault it is when things go wrong (laughs) yeah maybe i'll try that next time that's evil So other than the word quiet, are you aware of any other superstition? I asked around in the mess today um, when things were a little quiet (laughs) about what superstitions people thought of. And one thing that people quickly pointed out was that some individual people seem to be shit magnets, Mm. as is the word that was used. So uh, that as soon as that person's skin touches that bleep, (laughs) that's when uh, cardiac arrests happen. Yeah, or hell break loose. <laughs> Neil Neil's raised his eyebrows. Don't worry. I don't I don't think there is actual I don't think there's a, a, a causality that we can prove there. <laughs> <laughs> well, is that person you or someone else? No, definitely okay. not me. I'm definitely not. I, I have a great time when I hold the hold the bleep. I'm <laughs> so you're the lucky charm then. Uh, yeah, in in a way, yeah. I guess you could say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was looking at the list. I was I'm doing some research for this, and then with you know, as you said, like the shit magnet, and also the word quiet. There's also something about full moon, and its effects <laughs> on people's behaviour. I have never heard of that one. No, until... that that one I don't think is. They say dogs and animals behave differently at full moon. 
And I think they were saying that, oh, patients can behave differently when the moon's full as well. I read that and, I mean, I really don't believe in astrology and Mm. the moon and I like star signs because I like my own star sign, but I don't believe in it. I just think I like my star sign because it's, it's got a nice name. You know, Aquarius, water, I like water sports, that works quite well. Can I just say something mm-hmm. there? Because, I mean, it's not it's not related to superstition, but it is of relevance. Is Michael Persinger, um, many years ago, because he's unfortunately passed away in the last couple of years, his research was about the effects of magnetic fields on people's behaviour. Mm-hmm. In the same way people have found that infrasound can influence people, what how people think and how they perceive. So whilst it seems uh, the moon is a bit far-fetched, I'll give you that, there certainly is some evidence that changes in the physical environment related to sunspots, related to uh, magnetic energy, electrical fields, infrasound that we can't perceive mm. but can influence our senses, can affect the sorts of perceptions uh, that people have really like how so mm. how do, how does that like what kind of changes do you know um just that they have anomalous perceptual experiences that they then interpret for example as being hauntings so if, if you look at many ghost sites mm-hmm. uh within those sites that Vic Tandy, for example, who was at the University of Coventry, again, he's unfortunately passed away. He used to do infrasound, and there's um, a chap called um, Braithwaite who also looks at infrasound. And what you find is in places like, for example, Munster Castle, that has a reputation for being haunted, there's high levels of infrasound. And the idea is that that infrasound in some way produces uh, unusual sensations within, pe- within people that they then label as being for example, a ghost. Wow. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. That's not what I expected. No. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it seems like going Science. to Izzy's point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, you're just trying, uh, like, kind of drawing conclusion, drawing conclusion from, like, a series of events that seem to have a causal relationship, but not really. But I guess it's a way to try to make sense of why such things happen. Yeah, and... I was looking at other superstitions and there was another one about opening the window after a patient passed so that the soul of the deceased of the patient could move on. I don't know if you've heard or seen that one before. No, as well, okay. No, no. But, that sounds, but that sounds kind of close to religion, which, you know, mm. is a... a totally different <laughs> full game. <laughs> no, for sure. Mm. So how about on the other side of the coin? Are there any other rituals or good luck charms that you carry with you when you go on a shift or like before an exam? Mm. Lots of people have lucky socks and lucky pants. You strike me as a lucky socks kind of person, Izzy. Uh, why would you say that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Admittedly, I do have way too many socks. I don't have a lucky pair of socks. So. Now I should probably think about that. But no. Um. <laughs> Do you have lucky charms, Pat? Um, I mean, I have a, like a watch that I carry on my lanyard when I go on uh, a shift, something. But because I think it's because it's like a, it's, it's it's a green watch, so it's quite like a distinctive color. So you know, it used to, it tends to strike conversations, and and I usually get to like do more things or like learn more learn more when I go on shifts with my watch. But yeah, I wouldn't consider it lucky. Just when you said that, I was just thinking about the little contents of stuff that I bring me on the ward. 
And actually yesterday, just after I threw away my reusable tourniquet, I then failed a cannula three times. So maybe that tourniquet that I threw away <laughs> was my lucky tourniquet. <laughs> I got in my first cannula recently. Oh, and nice I was very one. proud of myself. Yes. Only problem is, it. it was in the foot, which is very classic me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you just don't take the easy route in, do you? Oh, no, I never take the easy route. Never, never. I definitely say I might have to find a lucky tourniquet because I need anything I can get <laughs> yeah especially for next year when you're a junior doctor don't 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 yeah oh. well we'll discuss a little bit more about why superstitions may arise but that'll be right after this indemnity You've probably not given it much thought, but it won't be long until the risk of claims and patient complaints becomes all too real. Whatever lies ahead, you need experts in your corner who offer indemnity and a whole lot more. That's why it pays to be with Medical Protection. There's our free membership during your medical school years, our wealth of training resources to help you become the best doctor you can be, and our international experience that protects you during your elective, no matter how far from home you end up. In fact, there are many reasons why our members worldwide trust us to support and protect them throughout their careers. And if you're looking for one more, every week one lucky new joiner wins £183. That's the average student weekly spend. Just join for free and you're automatically entered into the draw. That's why UK medical students choose to be part of medical protection. You can't blame them, so why not join them? Visit medicalprotection.org to find out more. Okay, back to the show. So it seems like we hold superstitions, whether medical or non-medical. Um, but as evidence-based medicine practitioners, it may seem a little bit odd that you know there's still some superstitions that we hold. So, Neil, I thought with your background in psychology, could you shine a light on why superstitions may arise and like, what is superstition? Um, superstition are, well, basically, it's irrational beliefs. So it's beliefs that have no real scientific foundation. They're things that we, as I think somebody said it before, where people look for random connections between, uh, between events. So the idea is that if I do something or if I carry a, a charm, that will in some way produce, evoke good luck or alternatively ward off evil. So there's no real foundation for these beliefs. They're essentially irrational. But people like them very often because they provide reassurance or reduce anxiety. So it also can be about imparting or having a sense of control. So the idea is if I put on my lucky socks, as we were talking about lucky socks before, that in some way helps me to influence the outcome of an event or avoid some sort of disaster or some sort of unpleasant outcome. Do you have lucky socks? No, not really. <laughs> not lucky socks, no. No, no. no lucky pants either, but I do have... I, I I do have a, a favorite you know favorite shirts that I like to play football in, but I, th I think that's because you wear them a couple of times, something happens, and then you have a, a, a perceptual bias, which is you forget all the bad things that have happened when you've missed a chance or uh, you know you've made a mistake, and then you tend to remember that odd spectacular um, 
goal or tackle or whatever <laughs> so i think that's due to selective memory but yeah i do have i do have a favorite lucky-ish top <laughs> yeah. lara do you have lucky socks because you've asked everyone else like have they got lucky socks Izzy, didn't i tell you at the beginning that i'm not superstitious <laughs> <laughs> apart from your tourniquet yeah. Well, I mean, the tourniquet is something I've thought of just now. And um, I mean, I'm not going to fish out of the bin. So it's kind of the thing that's like gone forever and we'll never know. And maybe I'll never ma- manage cannula again. And you have to tune into Sharp Scratch to find out. Yeah. <laughs> Cliffhanger for our next episode. <laughs> but going back to Neil's point about, you know, um, having superstition kind of reassure you, um, especially in an uncertain situation, I think... It kind of applies, say, when I was wearing my quote-unquote lucky watch, uh, that I would expect I'll, I'll be learning something useful. And I think sometimes when you have that superstition, like especially like a positive superstition, you'll feel more confident and then it'll improve your skills, say, doing a cannula. What, what do you guys think? I mean, it's like Neil said, look, if you can have something that reduces your anxiety, there is a real effect from an irrational belief. The real effect will nonetheless affect how you respond to what happens. It might not affect the events of your day, but it'll affect how you respond. So there is something in that. Is that am I understanding you correctly, Neil? Yeah, you are. Um, I don't know if you've, if any of you've seen it, but there's the classic episode of Darren Brown where Darren Brown goes to Todmorden to test people's superstitions. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful episode. And um, what, what they have is they have a park in the middle of the town. And he starts the rumour that there's a lucky dog there. So there's a dog statue that's been there for years. And he starts, perpetuates this notion that the dog is uh, lucky. And what happens over time is as the rumour spreads around the town, people start going and patting the dog and standing next to the dog. And then over time they start attributing good luck to the dog. So the dog has gone from being this sort of meta idea to being the personification of good luck for people. So people are even attributing conception to patting the lucky dog. (laughs) So I think that, and and then he extends that idea to these two brothers. Um, One of the brothers has a reputation for being unlucky and the other brother has a lucky reputation. And he gives them various, he gives the unlucky one various opportunities to win a quiz, to win some money. And the brother doesn't do that. And what that demonstrates is, as you, as you quite rightly said, is that whether you believe that you're lucky or unlucky, regardless of whether it's paranormal or not, can influence your degree to see opportunities. Mm-hmm. So if, you're th- if you think you're unlucky and things are never going to happen to you, when you actually get an opportunity, you're not ready to take it. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is an argument in favour of lucky socks, is what I'm hearing. <laughs> Sorry. De- definitely. I mean, you can. there's still, like, things that I still do, which some would say are very child, childlike, but I will still, if I see a magpie and try and walk past it, in my head, oh, God, I need to wave to that magpie. I need to wave to that magpie. I will walk back <laughs> wave to the magpie. <laughs> so, you know, it's things like that. Um, so that's that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> Any questions? <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose like all these things like a bit like confirmation bias. You know, we like to um, interpret things that will confirm and support our beliefs, even when there's like no association or no evidence to back 
that uh, like that thought or superstition or that action yeah there are of course cursed objects as well because we've talked about lucky statues mm. but there's also many um objects that are assumed to be uh, unlucky like robert the doll annabelle the doll um they 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 carry with them the, and the hope diamond they carry with them the idea that if people come into contact with them they're going to have bad luck so if you go and visit robert the doll and you dismiss him in any way people will give these narratives about how all sorts of unfortunate events have unfolded so they then write a letter to apologize to robert and uh, life is much better <laughs> wow it's a terrifying <laughs> idea <laughs> Yeah, Robert the Doll's fascinating. Mm. It's um, you can see many it, for people who are interested. If you go on the internet or go on YouTube and look for Robert the Doll, there's some really good um, documentaries where there's little clips in it. So, for example, Weird or What with William Shatner. There's a, an excerpt devoted to cursed objects, and he features prominently on mm. there. There's even a little skit at the end where William Shatner pre pretends to be rude to Robert and then apologises immediately after. <laughs> and is that, is, is that how William Shatner has just been blasted into space? So, <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it is true. <laughs> Who knows? I wonder if, do we have any cursed objects in medicine? Other than the bleak. The I don't think I don't, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think that's cursed in the same sense. I mean, it's the thing that tells you to do work. Don't the we all farmer, think that the farmer coming into A and E. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the bleep will bleep anyway, regardless <laughs> yeah. whether the ward is busy or not. Yeah, we'll continue discussing a little bit more about the thinking behind superstitions, but that'll be right after this. As you take on additional responsibility for your patient's care. UpToDate can be your trusted personal medical consultant. UpToDate is an online, continuously updated clinical decision support resource used by doctors, medical students and doctors in training worldwide to access current, evidence-based information at the point of care. Doctors at all levels of experience rely on UpToDate for trusted answers to their clinical questions. See how UpToDate can benefit your training and subscribe today by visiting go.uptodate.com sharp that's go.uptodate.com slash sharp and use promo code sharp to save 25 US dollars on your annual or longer subscription. Okay, back to the show. So we talked about why superstitions may arise because, you know, it's reassuring when we're in control of things, especially in uncertain situation. And I think it also highlights how we like to de de detect patterns from a series of events when, you know, on a rational level, there's no evidence. And I was thinking about this, and it made me reflect on our thinking in medicine. Like, in medical school, we're trained to be efficient in detecting patterns and finding links, and it helps with decision-making, especially in an emergency situation, such as stabilising an acutely patient. And I think our inclination to automatically detecting patterns can sometimes result in mistakes. So, Neil, are there any psychological explanation as to why humans have, you know, kind of two ways of approach in thinking, like kind of that quick, intuitive thinking in comparison to the more analytical and rational thinking? Well, ac across the various sciences, there's, there tends to be this idea of there being dual process models. And dual process models suggest that there's 
two or at least two fundamental types of thinking and one as you say is is more objective it's more rational it's more considered thoughtful evaluative the other one is more instinctual so that you're making snap judgments that are dependent on subjective factors uh, they're, they're more emotion based and the idea is that these two exist in parallel in all of us but from time to time we have a preference for one so it could be a contextual preference that brings out one or it could be a preferential thinking style where people generally prefer to base their view of the world on subjective evidence you know um why why should I carry on smoking? I should carry on smoking because Uncle Bob smoked, uh, you know, 30 cigarettes a day and lived to be 120. Or objective evidence. If if I uh, don't give up smoking by a certain age, then my chances of developing some sort of unpleasant disease will increase by X percent. So the, we're always faced with information in the real world of all sorts of different different types. And those judgments... They do exist in parallel, but people tend to have a preference for one of them. So, for example, if you look at <coughs> excuse me, if you look at believers in the paranormal, they will tend to be um, higher on levels of intuitive thinking. They will prefer to base their views of the world on subjective feelings. So, again, superstition would be an example of that, where I'm not looking at the probability of something happening. What I'm actually doing is I'm just basing it on anecdotes, personal historical events, and my own feelings and preferences. Mm, yeah, because it made me reflect on a case. Oh, well, I was shadowing a night shift, and then we got bleeped to see um, an unwell elderly patient. And that unwell elderly patient described how um, they're experiencing chest pain, kind of raging down to the left side. And, you know, and then so we asked the nurse, oh, could you... So could you do um, some bloods to check the troponin and also do an ECG? So the bloods and ECG were normal, they were fine, but the elderly patient still complaining of chest pain. So we're going down this route of, okay, it must be ACS. But when we went there and actually examined the patient, so it turned out that this patient had shingles down the left side, which explained that kind of chest pain. So... Um, Laura, now that you're working as a junior doctor, have you had any situations where you kind of relied on your quick intuitive thinking or pattern recognition, but it turns out to be something else? Well, yeah, something that uh, I've made the mistake of once before is seeing someone that was short of breath and was in hospital and had raised inflammatory markers and being like, well, clearly this is a chest infection and forgetting the very real possibility that it could have been a pulmonary embolus. Um, no harm came to the patient because I was working in a team. This was my individual thought process of what I thought might be going on. And other people in the team had had cast a wider net and done the appropriate investigation. So, um, and that was definitely a worthwhile lesson for me to learn. And again, part of the huge blessings of working in a team. But yeah, it's uh, pattern recognition can be a really easy way to close your mind off so soon. And it's always good to have role models who think out loud, who demonstrate, like more senior doctors who demonstrate out loud that they're thinking of more things than just the obvious right in front of them uh, until you have all the information which is yeah something that I'm hopefully get improving in yeah definitely how about you Izzy mm, I think I'm very new to the idea of the management side of things putting all things together with the clinical reasoning so luckily I'm not very left on my own to do things mm. which is great <laughs> yeah definitely I think you know at med school learn about just 
patterns of that's like you know red flags but if the you know atypical or non-classical patterns show up it may lead to misdiagnosis or missing things but then going back to what you said Laura like you know when you work as a team you get more input from other people you need to also take off other things in terms of um, investigations Mm. to land on the right diagnosis will it lead to too much vigilance do you think say uh, if someone presents with like in the indigestive chest pain uh, you think like maybe like gourd something like that but that could also be a similar presentation leading up to like an MI you know it's still kind of similar mm-hmm. kind of chest pain what, what mm-hmm. do you think I think that as an F1 I definitely have to leave no stone unturned uh, <laughs> because I am still like gaining in experience and I don't know how to practice medicine safely any other way at the moment um, I mean I say that whilst also knowing that we have a fairly defensive culture of culture of medicine in this country as well is my impression from speaking to colleagues who've trained in other countries um, where we do uh, rule out loads and loads of things when even when a diagnosis may be clear. But for now, I'm not going to make that call. I'm an F1. I'm going to check everything. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to miss anything. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm building up to that point now. So although right now I can say, I think it could be this. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, the Reg, the SHO, whoever I'm shadowing will say, right, you check for that. And then they'll check for everything else. Now they're beginning to say, well, okay, check for that. Also check for everything else, please. Because that's what you'll be doing as an F1. <laughs> um, that's pretty much what I'm beginning to do and build up to. And... Mm-hmm. F1 life seems exhausting. <laughs> so, yeah. The, the reality is, though, is that sometimes the more experienced doctors will say, you don't need to do that or we need to go in this direction instead. You know, that mm. they have the experience mm. and uh, expertise to make those calls. Which is one way that you can end. <laughs> so, Izzy, it's, it's all right. You, there's, there's, <laughs> there's, the teamwork, you know, continues. It's not just when you're a student. It continues. So it seems like to have like a fine balance of this intuitive and more like analytical thinking as well. Um, would you say, Neil? Yeah, I mean, it's quite, it's quite interesting. Obviously, I have no medical background whatsoever. Um, and my ideas about diagnosis are informed, uh, as, as many of my cultural references <laughs> are, by television and programmes like House. <laughs> and it, it's, quite, it's quite interesting that w- with the process of diagnosis... Um, is that very often you use the word confirmatory before and you can go down that rabbit warren of deciding it's something and then looking for symptoms that support that diagnosis where often the key factor is something that disconfirms that. So you have to be very careful in the way you appraise evidence. So in that context, it strikes me as being very important that you need to be able to critically appraise the facts and not just look for confirmatory supporting evidence, but also look for the absence of something in order to indicate that it isn't it isn't that particular um, condition. Mm. I mean, that's a really good point. Now you've mentioned house because um, my GP, I've just literally today finished a GP rotation and my GP tutor he, um, every patient I saw would say, well, is it lupus? And <laughs> I, I'd say, well, no. He'd go, well, tell me how you know that. He'd catch me out there. 
and <laughs> and and it's sort of the and it's sort of you know the way lupus can present in so many ways and so it's almost this differential diagnosis of okay so what's in your back of your mind what's your what's your first thought what are you ruling out how are you ruling these things out and mm. what can you do within the limitations of what you have so in primary care you know they've got diagnostic tools in terms of the clinical presentation of the patient they've got point of care ECG but you know they don't have a CT scanner or an MRI scan Mm. they don't have bloods you know that will come back within four hours they've got bloods that might come back within a couple of days so it's it's a different it's a different side of things and uh, and I never was able to catch him out by saying no, it's definitely not lupus. <laughs> so so yes, uh, yeah. That's yeah, that's so true. I actually never. I think that's quite a safe frame of thinking. I guess like you know you're trying to rule out ev- everything. Um, if you think that this could be an atypical presentation of something that may not have the typical signs. Cool. So as we're just kind of towards the end of this episode um have you got have we got any like final thoughts on superstition or just like uh, the thinking behind superstition this kind of um intuitive versus rational thinking debate i think that superstition is something that binds people together as well and that uh and this is particular because uh a couple of times at work i've tried to counter the q word superstition by pointing out the BMJ Christmas issue research paper mm-hmm. that shows that um, stating the word quiet does not have any effect on the resulting busyness <laughs> of the shift. Um, and the, the two or three times I've, I've jokingly pointed out, you know, that if we're really practicing evidence-based medicine, then we can say quiet however much we want. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me sound superior and doesn't really go down well. <laughs> <laughs> And um, I mean, like, I think, I mean, that just highlights that, uh, you know, we all know that saying the key word might ends the quiet spell at, in, on your shift is something that binds us together, uh, is a common joke, is an in-joke that we all know and understand. Unless you don't, unless you do get shot down, you know, but, but you're quickly, like, welcomed into that, into that superstition, into that tradition. So there's something to be said for these uh, irrational beliefs, you know, bringing camaraderie as well. Yeah, definitely. I think like even, as you said, even the BMJ paper has suggested that there's no evidence behind whether <laughs> saying the word quiet would bring an, a very eventful shift. I'll, I think I'll still be um, reluctant to say the word quiet, you know, just to be liked on the ward so that they can keep giving me stuff to do and get stuff signed off. Mm, that's a true point. I was thinking just then I could do the evidence-based medicine thing and like, know this because i've got surgery coming up next can confirm doesn't Um, win your friends and i'm not gonna do that no (laughs) (laughs) no that's not a good idea did not come out that looking good but i I would not recommend (laughs) for someone who i would say i'm very superstitious without meaning to because i'm also someone who i don't like the idea of halloween for instance Mm. i really don't like it i just think no no why why would you do this it was sweet when we were children but when I was a child I I went down the street with my dad 
not to go trick-or-treating, but no, I went down the street with my notebook tallying which houses had a pumpkin outside and which didn't, uh, because that was me as a child. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, I don't know, I just, I think superstition can probably mean different things for every different people. How about you, Neil? Any final thoughts on superstition or like on the debate of um, kind of intuitive versus analytical thinking? Um, well, the important thing to remember is that we all engage in both types of thinking, and from time to time, we will um, in, in, inherently draw upon more basic, if you like, more fundamental thinking. So, obviously, people may deny their superstitions, but, but they will have odd and idiosyncratic beliefs. And the thing, the, the thing is, that's fine. That's part of human nature. It's part of the human disposition. They're only problematic if they they only become maladaptive if they interrupt your life profoundly. You know. So I remember working. We did a little bit of work with a Premier League football club, and they were talking about one of their players having superstitions because many of them in the academy were superstitious. And it was only a problem in this particular instance because it was taking that player, you know, a, a disproportionate amount of time in order to get ready for training. He was taking half an hour, 45 minutes to put his socks on because he had to put this bandage on first and that, and he'd start this ritual. So we all do it. It's just the degree to which we engage in it. And if it becomes too much, then it can be maladaptive. Otherwise, it's just perfectly normal. It's perfectly typical. That's a quite a good message to wrap up on. And that's all we have time for today. If you'd like to hear more from us, please subscribe to Sharp Scratch wherever you get your podcasts. And in two weeks' time, you'll be notified of our next episode. While you wait for the next one, do check us out on social media. We are BMJ Student on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Let us know what you think about the podcast using the hashtag Sharp Scratch. I'd love to hear your ideas for what we should cover later in the season. It's also really helpful to us if you can leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts as it helps other med students find a show. Until then, it's goodbye from us. Bye. 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 Bye.